is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Technically, it's not though, Phil. This is actually the Cobham Crew podcast, which we have officially rebranded. We have artwork. Uh, so if you're listening on a non Apple podcast uh, podcast player, you will see new artwork, Cobham Crew, which is very cool that we've uh, developed with uh, Drew, our, our designer, and you as well, because uh, this show is going to take on a life of its own. Yeah, first of all, props to Drew for the amazing artwork, and it's really cool to see how it's unfolding. And on the pitch, it's, it's only mid-October as we speak, and things have been relentless. I put out a, a little graphic on Twitter at the start of the month saying it looks busy. There were 29 scheduled matches from the first team men, first team women, development squad, and under... 19s, 18s. There's been so much to talk about in the last fortnight or so and plenty to come in the next fortnight and it, it, I think we were talking about this sort of in August about how hectic the schedule was going to get before the World Cup with so much football to be crammed in uh, and on all levels it's it's starting to, to really mount up. I know. Uh, uh, we're going to definitely you know, have some time to, to cover on quite a bit that's happened. Uh, just to circle back uh, on said logo, it is uh, a an homage, not a ripoff of obviously X Men and their uh, Professor X Academy for elite kid, whatever it is. But clearly, it's a play on the fact that uh, essentially Cobham is producing mutant superheroes uh, year in year out, uh, and so we wanted to make sure that we we uh, you know gave credit where it's due. The Academy's been unbelievably productive, and again, every single week you look around the league. There's Cobham graduates, even if they're missing penalties against Arsenal, which is a little bit of a sad, sad moment for Patrick. Yeah, very sad. But uh, one last thing on the logo. You can never go wrong with blue, gold and white. Perfect color scheme for good and potentially good sporting teams. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, let's go ahead. Uh, We'll we'll jump in with the dev squad. Right. So um, they've had three matches. Uh, since we've last spoken, they played Leicester, Oxford, and Manchester United. Uh, five points out of the three. Uh, I think I know I was following along with your tweets on the Man United one, but we will rewind back to Leicester, which is a two-two draw, and kind of start from there. And uh, you know, kind of the ups and downs of that one. Uh, this was really up and down. It was uh, one of those cliched game of two halves where Chelsea were. Really, really good in the first half. Um, Charlie Webster and Amari Hutchinson in particular, they scored the goals, but they also ran the show in the first half. Um, Webster with a, a nice break from midfield to meet Ben Elliott's pullback after some good play between the three of them. And then Hutchinson scored at the end of a fantastic team move that involved a lot of players on the left side of the pitch, Dylan Williams and Lewis Hall. So uh, some patient build-up and approach play, and Hutchinson provided the finish. Unfortunately, they weren't able to hold on. There were two goals from Casey McAteer at Leicester. One of them a complete fluke uh, across from the left that was sliced and caught everybody out and flew into the top corner before Eddie Beach could react. Uh, and then he scored a really stylish one late on, which gave them a deserved share of the spoils because they were the much better team in the second half and probably would have felt they had an opportunity to take all three points with some of the late chances they missed. But it was somewhat reflective of the month that was going to come. This was on the 1st of October and... It was followed by the Oxford game and the Manchester United game that we'll get into. And all three of those matches have been fairly tight affairs where Chelsea have played well for long spells but haven't managed to put that together for a full 90 minutes. They are unbeaten in those three, which means that they have a six-match unbeaten run in uh, PL2, seven if you include the Oxford game, and 
it, they are starting to come together as a, a cohesive team under a new coach with a lot of new faces that have been brought in from outside as well as promoted from the under 18s they're getting there it's just about learning the lessons that allow you to turn these draws into wins on a consistent basis so you know Leicester obviously playing them um they are around mid-table uh in the league just to kind of give some context of where they're at but then when you have to turn around and and they're playing you know kind of weekend midweek and weekend right they're they're to your point at the pretty very much beginning. whether it's whether it's domestic in the EFL trophy or whether they're off to the under 19 champions league it's been that sort of schedule it's saturday tuesday right. saturday wednesday yeah so then they had a you know quick turnaround with oxford as well uh but picked up all three points they did, and this was one of the, it was sort of the opposite to the Leicester game, where they didn't play tremendously well for about an hour, uh, and then they 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 kept battling. They 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 felt their way into the game. It wasn't a full strength Oxford team in the EFL Trophy. Some of the football league teams will rotate. Oxford rotated less heavily than some others do. It was a competitive team that featured a lot of good players, not necessarily all of their best players though, but they had a good team out and. It was it was Chelsea turned the game on its head in the last fifteen minutes with two really really high quality goals that you may have seen Mason Burstow equalising with a, a forty yard chip lob long range strike whatever you want to call it. it was fantastic and then moments later Lewis Hall pulled one out um, loose ball nice quick feet in the area and then rifled into the top corner off his weaker right foot which was really nice to see uh, from a player who's in tremendous form. Uh, he scored again in the Manchester United game. We'll cover in a bit more depth, uh, which means he's got five goals already this season, five in his last six. The majority, almost all of them, coming since he was moved back into a regular central midfield role, having spent so much time playing as an emergency left wing back. Uh, and that game against Oxford allowed Chelsea to keep their hopes alive of progressing from the group stage in the FL Trophy. They're in a group with Sutton United and Leighton Orient. They lost to Sutton in August. They beat an Oxford. All three teams are on three points going into the final match day, which is tomorrow as we record, yesterday as this is going out. So we'll know whether they've qualified or not. But the, the solution is simple there. If you win at Orient, you're into the knockout phases. Uh, if you draw, then it goes to penalties for a bonus point, and then the cat's firmly amongst the pigeons. So just keep it simple and go and win. And then uh, another one, and maybe I'm sneaking this in on you, is the West Ham result. Ah, uh, yes. I completely overlooked that. Yeah, the West Ham result was How could uh, really you? impressive as well. Lewis Hall uh, you keeping, continue- me, keeping me on my toes, absolutely. <laughs> he, Lewis Hall continuing his fine form. Joshua Brooking have a bit of a meltdown the last 10 minutes. I mean, there's always something going on. And, and one thing I will point out as the formation continues to change as I look um, Chelsea FC, by the way, their website is, is finally providing the context that we need for the dev squad in the 18. So go, if you want to see match recaps, uh, they have a lot of information finally. Um, but the other thing is this team is consistently getting like almost double digit. I shouldn't say that six, seven, eight shots on target a match. They're getting double digit shots a game. You know that they're creating a ton of chances and that's what makes the, the results like even that much more of a roller coaster. <laughs> Yeah, the West Ham game was quite interesting. West Ham finished second in PL2 last season and their under-18s were were really, really impressive in the Southern League. And so this team is a mix of the both of them. Some of the players in PL2 last season have moved on permanently or on loan. Um, but unfortunately, they haven't managed to win yet this season. Things haven't quite gone right for them. So despite their record, they still have really good players. This was one of those end-to-end matches where Chelsea got the goal. Another really, really comprehensive, emphatic finish from Lewis Hall just before the hour mark. Uh, they they owed a lot to Eddie Beach, who's had a long a long run of games recently because Ted Sharman Lowe is out injured, unfortunately. Um, which means that Eddie's pretty much the only senior goalkeeper for the development squad right now. 
he made two or three really, really good saves to keep them in it, both at 0-0 and then to keep them 1-0 up. Chelsea had chances. Hutchinson, Dion Rankin, um, Mason Burstow had one cleared off the line uh, to go across London on a, a day where all three Chelsea teams had matches and the players are split across the squads accordingly. It was a really good result, a clean sheet. Uh, and part of that unbeaten run that I've referred to, the six unbeaten in PL2 now, which hasn't quite reflected in the league table because some of the teams at the very top end have been just winning relentlessly. But at least it doesn't mean that you're getting detached in the bottom half of the table and towards the relegation zone where thing where they were struggling last year. It keeps you in touch so that if you can turn two of the two or three of these draws into wins, then suddenly you're, you're elevated into the top three and perhaps into title contention. We will touch on the table. Uh, and then as we look to Manchester United, which was the wild 3-3 draw just from this past weekend, what I'm noticing from Mark Robinson, and maybe we can touch on this a little bit later, he's like, in October at least, he switched his formation every other match. 4 4 just back and forth at that. Um, and so again, I, it's just something that we're starting to notice as he starts to develop, um, th- this team. Um, yes and no. I mean, there's not necessarily that much of a difference between what's denoted as a four, four, one, one and denoted as a four, two, three, one. The personnel has been very, very stable for, for a while now. Um, you've had Derek Abu enjoying a nice run of games at right back after not getting into the team at the start of the season. Indeed, there was talk that he may have been had the opportunity to leave uh, by mutual consent back in August when things are shaking out, but he decided to stick at the club um, and has had the reward with a really solid month in the team. Dylan Williams has been in at left back more often than not because Zach Sturge, I think, picked up an injury in the UEFA Youth League game against Milan. We'll get to that in a bit. Lewis Hall's had a run in central midfield, whether it's alongside Charlie Webster or Cesare Cassidy. And then Hutchinson... Uh, ben Elliott and Dion Rankin have been that front three behind Mason Burstow. So whether you pull back the two wide players, Rankin and Hutchinson, to be part of the four four one one with Elliott as the the one short of the striker, or whether you put them up in four two three one, it's generally been the same look. And that's not necessarily that common at PL two level, where you can have players move between age groups quite frequently, especially when there's clashes between 18s and development squad and there's a lot of players to try to fit in. And it's not been the common place at Chelsea in recent years, but certainly under Robinson and certainly in October and back into September a bit, this this group is settling into uh, a familiar looking 75-80% of the starting 11 each week. And that cohesion is is showing in the results. Um, I, I still cannot comprehend how Chelsea didn't beat Manchester United. Uh, it was a 3 all draw for anyone who hasn't seen or didn't watch. Uh, they conceded in the 95th and 96th minutes, having been 3-1 up. It was shortly after Cassidy received his second red card of his nascent Chelsea career. It was unfortunate. It wasn't anything that he did uh, particularly wrong. It was just two yellow cards and both of them were avoidable, um, as was not winning the game. And it was a real shame because having been 1-0 down at halftime, Chelsea produced maybe the best 45 minutes that they've produced all season. They were fantastic full value for all three points had they managed to claim it goals from Hall from Cassidy and a really important one from Jude Sunsat Bell that will hopefully kickstart his season and lift his confidence and uh, credit to United for sticking with it credit to them for two really nicely executed goals deep into stoppage time but Chelsea will be looking back on that one with a lot of regret oh big time again 60 or sorry <laughs> I was looking at something else 95th and 96th minute obviously they're up a man at that point um Chester A, he, like you said, two two red cards kind of originally. It seems like he's starting to find his form, though, um, you know, getting some minutes, getting some goals. 
you know, someone who came from Inter Milan, highly rated continentally. How, I guess, overall have you felt like he's adapted to life? I mean, we talk about how full senior pros struggle at moving countries and leagues. How, how has it gone for him? I think he's getting there. Um, we'll address the red cards first because it's very easy for people on social media to comment without having watched the match um, or just seeing the fact he's been sent off twice and assuming that he's a dirty player or struggling to adapt to English refereeing. That's not the case. They were both uh, two yellow cards. Uh, the first yellow in each instance were just the standard thing that one referee might give, the other one might not. The second yellow against Sutton was farcical. He fell over um, trying to claim a free kick and did that whole thing. I'm going to grab the ball and make the referee's decision for him. Referee decides it's handball. It's a second yellow. This one here, it was a long clearance into the midfield and he's a tall boy. He's, he's six foot three and he's put his foot up to try to control the ball as the United defender has jumped in for a header, stooping a little bit and is off the ground. So the referee's decided it's a high foot. You can't really complain, but it's not malicious. It's not careless it's not reckless it's not a comment on his game it's just a little bit unfortunate in general though when he's been playing and there was an injury that happened over the international break that set him back a bit um he looks good he's one of those players that sort of you don't notice a lot for example you might notice charlie webster a lot he's constantly on the move constantly buzzing around constantly dictating the play cassidy doesn't necessarily do that but he doesn't have a tremendous weakness he, he knits the play together when he needs to. He gets into the right areas. He has a real knack of arriving on the edge of the area in the final third. Lampard-esque, you might say, of getting into those positions. He hasn't taken advantage of some of the shots that have come his way on the edge of the box yet, but you know that that can come along. And the goal in this game was everything that we've told, been told about him and everything that we've seen in the highlight videos from Inter. He's six foot three and he may have jumped another six foot three in the air to score this header. Ben Elliott hung the ball up in the air saying, go on boy, go and get it out-jumped everybody, uh, posterizing the defender. Beautiful header, bottom corner, unstoppable. And if you can add that to your game in English football, then you are well away as a number eight and a number 10 attacking midfielder because that translates to all levels. It's not just that he's going to dominate smaller players uh, in PL2 or out on loan. And it will take him some time to, to get to that top level. But you can see the hallmarks of why Chelsea signed him eking through with more and more appearances and he hasn't been able to play consecutive games a lot recently at Chelsea so when that comes between now and the World Cup break and maybe into the new year you'll start to see more and more of what attracted Chelsea to signing him I think we're just starting to scratch the surface with him so the other one is Amari Hutchinson that I wanted to just get a quick update on as well pretty much him Cassidy Hutchinson Chukwameka they were kind of I and, and correct me if I'm wrong the big name young signings obviously Chukwameka has yeah. been with the first team even got some minutes recently uh obviously Omari Hutchinson continues to be on the score sheet almost every single week uh we talked about him coming from Arsenal it was a big deal highly highly rated how's it going for for Omari he's been outstanding and it, it shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody he was one of the top three players in PL2 last season at Arsenal it's a league that he's already proven himself too good for arguably and what Chelsea may have had designs on sending him on loan there was a long rumored deal with Reading that never came to fruition in August so he stays at Chelsea through to at least the January transfer window when you might reconsider but everything you saw from him at Arsenal is starting to emerge in his game now largely playing on the right of the front three the behind Bursto will sometimes float around has the license to float around unbelievably good dribbler great low center of gravity Really good balance, good touch, productive in the final third, crosses, goals, assists, everything you you knew you were going to get from him once he'd sort of settled in and 
and and familiarised with a different style of play. But the talent is there. The talent's undeniable. And whatever happens in January, loan move or not, there's an interesting scenario. This team will stop for the World Cup like the first team will. The under-18s won't. So you might see Lewis Hall, for example, who's still under-18 eligible, drop down for whatever games are being played at under-18 level in December, particularly for the Youth Cup. Hutchinson can't do that. And so Chelsea will have a dozen-plus players away at the World Cup. And you you think they'll merge the non-internationals and the development squad. And then you've got a concentrated period where you can work under Potter and the first-team staff and impress. And if you are Amari Hutchinson, if you are... Charlie Webster, if you're Mason Burstow, Ben Elliott, whoever from this development squad, and you get a really long period of time to not just play under a new coaching staff and train under them, play in one or two friendlies, because I'm sure that they're going to have in-house games or friendlies against other teams just to keep ticking over. You can't go six weeks without match action between the end of the Premier League and then the resumption at Christmas. That's a wild card that nobody's ever had mid-season before. And that's not just at Chelsea, it's going to be across the board. Opportunities for youngsters who are still at the club to have this second pre-season, but at a time where you're not building fitness and trying to find opportunity while there's all the moving pieces going on in the transfer market, trying to settle the first-team squad picture. Everything's set now. Everything's set, but players are injured as well. So if you're Carney Chuck Wemeka, you're seeing what's going on in the Chelsea central midfield right now. You might get a taste of the action before the World Cup, but then you know that you're in a position to maybe assert yourself in that month where everybody else is away and there's no games going on to say, right, here's what I can do. This is why you should be starting me after Christmas, giving me more opportunities. I think it's it's a really intriguing possibility for a bunch of these development squad players, and Hutchinson's one of them who had a dozen games on the bench for Arsenal's first team last year without getting on. Uh, very few players right now would deserve a senior debut more than him. Well, good to hear that uh, he is kicking on. Again, I, yeah, to your point, uh, I love how bullish you are with uh, when chances are, when opportunities are given to these players, uh, it turns out they usually take them and, and impress. So a lot of firsts this season. And again, it's right before the January transfer window. It's it's going to be a really interesting, uh, you know, kind of six weeks in there uh, between World Cup kicking off and then the start of the January transfer window. Um, but we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit more. Uh, the rest of the month, for this team specifically, there are three matches, although, as we'll throw in later, a U19 champion, youth Champions League one. Uh, so we've got on the 18th coming up this Wednesday, so we're just going to miss being able to cover that one. Uh, Papa John's Trophy heading to Leighton Orient. Uh, then on Saturday, the 22nd, we'll be hosting Blackburn Rovers U21, and then we'll end the month uh, October 30th away at Brighton and Hove Albion as well. So, you know, what what do we talk about? We've already had four matches this month and we still have another three, <laughs> three to go. Yeah, it's it's going to be uh, an interesting one. Blackburn will be uh, an intriguing opponent. They didn't start the season very well at all, but have been in much, much better form recently with uh, some big wins, including one against Manchester City. Uh, that will largely be dependent on what sort of team they put out. They've started to put some first-team fringe players in um, over the last few weeks. Uh, John Buckley stepped back down. Uh, Teo Aiden, Clinton Moller, who is a former Chelsea player himself, Blackburn signed him in the summer. He's been getting some PL2 minutes. So if they go more experienced, it'll be a bigger challenge than if they, for example, played a younger group of under-19s and some under-18s as they did at the start of the season. We'll wait and see. And then Brighton at the end of the month is always tricky against Brighton. They are 
an accomplished academy, really good players, lots of players, lots of strong recruitment. And that's going to be a fascinating weekend for Chelsea as a club because the first team play Brighton away on the Saturday and the development squad play Brighton away on the Sunday. So if you were inclined or if you had the need to, let's say Carly Chakwemeka is on the bench for the first team on the Saturday, you can keep him in Brighton in the local area and have him involved with the development squad Sunday without really impacting his travel between games or delay or, or compromising on one of the two squads it'd be interesting to see how they handle that they don't necessarily have to but i think it just adds a little extra dynamic into a, a double header of a weekend mm -hmm. down there yeah no it makes a lot of sense um uh development squad standings uh remember this is the premier league two division division one there's 14 teams we are currently in seventh on 13 points the leaders are palace and city both on 17 points so we're not that far off it you know from the top of the table we're plus three goal difference fulham are leading with plus 13 in fifth place uh so you know a couple results and and you're back at the top of this table uh absolutely i'm trying to see we played nine everyone else has played eight so yeah we're, we're ahead of the curve but that's all right that uh it's a little it's compact it's close chelsea drew against palace and lost uh, that, that palace equalized in stoppage time chelsea drew against man city they're not being outclassed by the best teams in pl2 this season they are there on a level with them and it's back to the point i made at the start just turning those draws into wins which will come with uh, a little bit more improvement in game management yeah, no, absolutely. Well, we're going to take a break real quick, but when we get back, we're going to jump to the 19s and then 18s to see how everything is going from Cobham top down. So thank you to the sponsors for, for financially supporting the show, and we'll be right back. All right, Phil, coming out of the break, we've got the U19s. And again, for everyone that are, is maybe curious why we have a U19s team, uh, this is specifically for the UEFA Youth Champions League. Do, uh, do you know if other countries, do they host U19s, or is there any particular reason why UEFA went with the 19s instead of maybe aligning with 18s and 21s or 23s like the like England do? Uh, it varies from country to country, but a lot of leagues, countries will either have an under, under 18 or under 19 set up, and then they won't necessarily have an under 21 set up. For like players in Germany, uh, they'll move from Bayern's under 19s into Bayern's second team, which is uh, played in a professional structure alongside some veterans. Uh, Italy doesn't have anything above the Primavera under 20 age group, for example. So it... It varies. UEFA's national competitions, they have an under-17 and under-19. So it will probably be in line with that. And of course, UEFA's competitions are always done based on the calendar year of eligibility born January 1st and later, whereas the English system is done via the academic year, which runs September the 1st to August 31st. So there's a little bit of a crossover there. Um, but that's generally why UEFA end up doing under-19s because it's what they've done at national level for the longest time. All right. Results wise, they've they mirror the the first team, right? So they don't really get uh, <laughs> their own draw of any sorts. Uh, but just to wind all the way back, they lost to Dinamo Zagreb four two, uh, drew Salzburg one one, and then we have the two Milan legs this 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 month. Uh, one point from two, not mirroring the men's results whatsoever against Milan. Far from it, and it's unfortunate because certainly in the game at home to Milan, they finished one all. They would have felt that they did enough to win, which is something that I've said on many an episode this season and many times on Twitter, and it becomes a little bit of a parody of itself if you keep reading it. But watching the matches, this is the story of the game. Chelsea uh, conceded a soft-ish goal early on. They fought back. A lovely, lovely team goal uh, finished off by Leo Castellan to equalise. Uh, check that one out if you can. And they did enough to think that, OK, we'll go to Milan in the second leg. 
will bring back Charlie Webster and Lewis Hall for that game because they played against Oxford the day before the first the home game against Milan, so they couldn't pull double duty. Bring in some more experienced senior players and think there's no reason we can't go to Milan and get a win that we absolutely need. And it didn't work out that way. They lost 3-1. The two decisive goals were quite late. Chelsea had equalised with 10 minutes to go from a Charlie Webster penalty and then start chasing points. And with hindsight, you might have taken the draw and lived to fight another day. It would have still been hard, but it's going to be really hard for them now. Milan brought on two substitutes shortly after Webster scored and they had the fresh legs where Chelsea didn't know the two subs combined almost immediately um, to make it 2-1. And then when Chelsea are throwing players forward... They got another one on the break, which all boils down to two games remaining. Chelsea need to beat Dinamo at home and Salzburg away, other way round. Uh, match day five is Salzburg away and then Dinamo uh, back at Cobham. And they need Milan to win both of the games on match days five and six against those other two. Uh, Milan would then win the group and Chelsea would finish second and go through to the playoff round, which is where they were knocked out last year by Genk. Uh, it's been another frustrating year in the competition um, following last year where they only beat Malmo home and away out of their seven matches. Um, they haven't had a particularly strong record. Even the year before the, the pandemic interruption where the edition was cancelled, they, they didn't get out of the group stages that year, which is... Uh, a long, long, long way away from the team that won it twice and then lost two finals and seemed to be a fixture in the finals weekend in Neon. And you can you can rightly ask questions: why Why have they dropped off in this competition? It's it's not an easy answer and it's not a quick answer. Um, I mean, first of all, you can say that the the teams that achieved such a tremendous level of success in the mid tens, the five youth cups in a row, the two UEFA youth leagues the constant return trips to the finals weekend are special because they aren't an every season occurrence. They set the bar high for a reason, but if you were to have that success year after year after year after year after year, it wouldn't necessarily be as impactful as those teams now are in memory. And everyone else raises their game. Chelsea have suffered a little bit in towards the end of the Abramovich era with some academy recruitment. They had a, a transfer ban that did affect the academy as well. Uh, more more importantly and more recently, they've had a very young group in the competition this season. It's primarily a 2004 competition with some eligible 2003s. Chelsea have routinely had some 2006-born players starting in, in Ted Curd, for example. Um, a 2007 coming on in 15-year-old Frankie Runham. 15-year-old um, Keanu Dyer has started all of the matches. And that hasn't necessarily been the difference between everybody looking at the average ages of the starting teams but the substitutes in particular in all four matches everyone's been able to put out a bench with maybe a, an extra year of experience Chelsea's average age of substitute is 17 Salzburg and Dinamo and Milan is 18 you might not think that one year is a, a significant difference if you're playing first team football 27 year old and 28 year old uh deemed to be similar age but when you're dealing with a youth age competition where it's a four-year window of eligibility that's 25 percent of the eligibility in terms of the players that you can bring on the experience the physical development the exposure to the competition and Chelsea won't use any of this as an excuse it's a disappointment to be in the position that they're in but there are learning opportunities and Kurd and Dyer and Frankie Runham are all eligible for this competition for another four years, theoretically. And you, Chelsea could quite easily have taken the the route of saying, right, we're going to use Levi Cole, we're going to use Jaden Wareham, we're going to use 
Harvey Vale. They're all 2003 borns. They're all eligible to play in this competition as overages, but they're on to different things. Coles on loan at a Premier League club. Um, some clubs will be doing similar in the UEFA Youth League, some won't. But this is a year that Chelsea, I think, have gone into knowing it's going to be a, a learning curve for a lot of younger players. And whether they get through the group or not, they'll be better for it if they're able to get back in it next year. Again, I think probably a little surprising for Chelsea fans to hear that it's going so bad, especially when you like rewind the years a little bit <laughs> to say it actually hasn't been going very well for a while. But this is also not the only you know measuring stick for the academy. It's one of many. To your point, I think the last um, you know little semi summary of the different players that are eligible but have like pushed on because they're ahead of that development curve is is probably the thing that I'll lean on is like my my solace and like hoping I I, I feel a little bit better about it. Um, but but again, this is just one of many layers that goes into the academy and the matches. Um, we do have RB Salzburg uh, as well later this month, the 25th of October is what I was talking about with the dev squad. You're going to have to squeeze this one in since there's a lot of overlap on players. Um and there's a lot of work to do. All they can do is try to go and win out. Um, you know, it was a 1-1 draw against them last time. Can they go out and kick on and and have a little bit of extra spark and fire? Uh, can they turn around an ugly 4-2 loss against Dinamo Zagreb? We'll find out, right? There's a lot going on with these teams, but they definitely have two more performances to go out and try to um, at least have good showings and kind of rebuild their, their resume. Yeah, they do. And I don't want to suggest any other excuses but we were talking back in august when the draw was made that what appears to be a relatively routine group for the first team with salzburg and dinamo in particular is a particularly tough group at this age group because salzburg have won this competition before and they were runners up in last year's final dinamo are regulars in the knockout phases last 16 quarterfinals milan haven't been in it for a long time and losing uh, failing to beat them over two games is disappointing but it's been a challenging draw last year they, they had juventus in the group and juventus were eventual semi-finalists uh the year before the pandemic they had ajax and lille two fairly noted um academies across central europe it, you, you want that level of competition but if you look back at some of the, the group draws that Chelsea had in the, the, the era where they were winning the, and reaching the final, they had uh, NK Maribor, they had Karabag, they had Dinamo Kiev. They had, no disrespect to any of those teams, but in terms of youth development, it's it's a different competition to play against Salzburg and Dinamo and Juventus and Ajax in, in recent years. And Chelsea would like to feel that they're on a par with any of those and the performances haven't matched it. But my takeaway from this year's competition is that a lot of the 2006s we've played. And that's also because there aren't, it's a statistical curiosity that there aren't a lot of 2005s around. Just the way that the age groups have fallen. Leo Karlstein is the the most noted 2005. There's a few 04s and a lot of 06s uh, and nobody in the middle. So there's that chasm there that might not necessarily exist next year. Um, all of the younger boys getting this exposure now will be much better for it the next time they get this opportunity. I know. it, uh, But again, it's only one of many. So uh, the other team that we have are the 18s, the uh, the wonderful U18s uh, that have a mix of much younger players than, than just that. Um, they've had two matches, unlike the Dev Squad. Uh, they played on the very 1st of October, and they played on the 8th. Uh, they have actually, I think, a little bit of a gap, but uh, Palace is 3-2, uh, which is the 1st of October, and I think we should probably just start there. Yep. Um, 
Last season, they won 4-3 at Palace with a 94th-minute goal. This season, they lost 3-2 at Palace with a 94th-minute goal. Uh, such is the way the games go against them. They drew two all at Cobham in the game in between. Uh, Palace are a really, really good team at this age group. This was one of those wild back-and-forth games that you flip a coin at the end of it. It was just an unfortunate way to concede a last-minute penalty. Travis Acomia took a, received a throw-in. And completely miskicked his clearance as he was being closed down. Instead of kicking the ball, he kicked the defender, the the striker. Sorry, and it happened. Even after that goal, which was three minutes into stoppage time, four minutes into stoppage time, Chelsea went down the other end and hit the woodwork with uh, Leo Karlstein, who who done so in the first half as well. Then Palace went down the other end and hit the woodwork themselves. It's yeah, frustrating to lose in that situation, but you can flip a coin on another day. Chelsea get a draw or win it, and. That's what happened. They then returned to Cobham to host Everton in the Under-18 Cup, which they won last season. They're defending holders. They beat Fulham in the final back in May. They lost on match day one in Southampton, so you have to come into this one and win. And they did. They were 1-0 down. It was a bit of a hiccup from Max Merrick in goal. One hill, one back, but they fought back well. Tyreek George scored two really nice first-half goals before later getting sent off. Um, retaliation for what he felt was... Uh, an Everton defender stepping on his foot after a tackle he kicked out don't want to do that you learn your lessons um, means Southampton beat Derby in the other games so Southampton are on six Everton and Chelsea are on three Derby are on nothing top two go through which means that on November the 5th they have to go up to Derby and um, win ideally if you draw with Derby the goal difference isn't great because Chelsea lost their first game 3-0 and Derby have lost two games 1-0 so a draw won't do Chelsea any favours there you've got to go up and win and qualify and uh, yeah, and that's exactly what they're going to push on and do. Um, again, only three matches for this team this month, right? Yeah, they uh, the entire South League had last weekend off. Um, so they've got West Ham on the 22nd and they've got West Brom away at the end of the month. So for in between, they've got the under 17 cup against Leicester at Cobham. They started that competition with a, a big 3-0 win away to Arsenal on match day one in September. Um, Fulham were the other team in that group. And that one is also concluded group stage in November. So they'll have a, a busy time of it coming after a break in between. And I think the break in between has come just because there's an under-19 Champions League game, there's an EFL trophy game for a lot of teams, and it's nice to schedule a, a gap in the schedule for the southern teams. The north teams had a gap in the schedule in September for similar reasons. Um, so, not as busy as the other age groups, but there's been a lot of football for a lot of the boys, particularly stepping into the under-19s. So, uh, Chelsea are in sixth place uh, in this one, 12, 12 teams in our division, uh, plus three on goal difference, two wins, two losses, one draw. On seven points, West Ham leading the way on 15 points. Crystal Palace in second on 12 points. Obviously, Palace's and West Ham's academies, uh, you know, putting in strong efforts. You got Brighton and Arsenal ahead of us as well, which you, again, are seeing at the other levels. Um, it, this is, and I think this is always my fun caveat reminder, is bigger swings at this level. A lot of times it's their first time playing uh, full-time uh, you know, football, uh, post kind of their education side of it. We've had some amazing wins, beating Leicester four, nothing, losing to Southampton, three, nothing, red cards, goals galore. Uh, and to your point about the crystal palace one, and, and it's just, it is the most pure form of development out there. Yep. For sure. You'll have games that you might win comprehensively. You'll have incredibly frustrating games like the home defeat to Norwich last month where they 
rightly could have said we win four, five, six, one, but Norwich's goalie Keller Anderson had an absolutely outstanding day, and you, you have to learn from those. And the 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 development cycle for these players isn't just one season. You get a two year scholarship, and fine, some of them will move up to higher age groups early. Like last season, we've seen Lewis Hall and Brody Hughes spend more than half of it with the development squad. Leo Castledon is mixing between the two groups this year. Uh, some players will need that full two years to adjust to full-time life as a footballer. And I say full-time in in, vert, um, in quotation marks because you aren't full-time, full-time until you sign your professional contract at 17. But when you leave school and go into the scholar life, you do have educational requirements, but you are training and playing football every day for the majority of your day. And uh, Armando Breuer, Breuer, as I should say now, um, is a, a really good example of that. He was a player who in his first year as a scholar didn't really uh, do much of note. He was used slightly out of position, struggled for playing time, was playing second or third fiddle to other players up front. And then in the second year, when some on just his development was on a slower curve, but it was on the upward curve, uh, we know he scored a bunch of goals, got into the development, scored a bunch of goals. Following year, he's at Vitesse and Southampton. Now he's scoring goals for Chelsea. Just because a player isn't necessarily making huge strides at 16 and 17 doesn't mean that he isn't a high potential player and a potential first team player in the future for Chelsea. So the results can be whatever they are. And we know that Chelsea play to win and have a, an ambitious strategy to win the youth competitions as much as they can. But you'll see players, and this is a young group as well. These are players born either in late 2005 or the first half of 2006. And as I was saying earlier, not many 2005s around. So you've got a younger than average group compared to everybody else giving up some months in development. You look, and when we talk again in May and do season updates and whatever, I'd be very surprised if this wasn't a team that looked stronger as the season went on. So the last thing I want to touch on is Joe Shields. Uh, mm-hmm. Seems like only a matter of time. Uh, seems to have been um, another piece of the recruitment puzzle. Um, seems like maybe understands the Chelsea <laughs> development pathway already. Um, I guess kind of what is your understanding of Joe Shields and and how you think he might plug in uh, in in Cobham terms? I think you using the term recruitment puzzle is the perfect phrase to use for this because this is clearly going to be a collaborative exercise uh, and a team that's being assembled. Uh, he was, there's talk of him being director of recruitment or whatever. And however it shakes out, we'll see what the operational hierarchy is and who reports to who and who has what. But in terms of Joe's resume and his experience, there are a few better out there at what he's done for the last decade. He's a South London guy who began working with Crystal Palace he has also, on the side, founded and um, runs or helps run uh, a grassroots academy called Lambeth Tigers, who has sent 40 or 50 players off into formal professional academy clubs, the first of whom made their um, senior... They had their first graduate into senior football uh, this season in Camille Conte, former Watford, now of Middlesbrough, uh, which is really impressive in itself. But after um, successful work with Crystal Palace, Manchester City picked him up and took him to head up their UK academy recruitment. And obviously, famously, he took Jaden Sancho from Watford up to Manchester and the rest is history with him. But a lot of other boys, Sam Adozi, who he then signed back at Southampton, um, Darko Jalby from Millwall. Adozi was from Millwall as well. There's Taylor Richards from Fulham. They, they, they've done numerous ones over the years. And then he went to Southampton and 
helped bring in Bazunu and Lavia and Adozi and Larios and a younger uh, set of signings this year. Uh, what's undeniable about him is his contact book, his knowledge and understanding of the academy game in England, his connections in the right places. I think maybe the only person you could argue that rivals him in that regard and in terms of how highly people speak of him as a person and as a professional is Jim Fraser, who heads up recruitment at Chelsea's Academy. And where you may have had Jim and Joe squaring off for the same talent over the last decade, they now join forces as some sort of mega powers situation where you end up with you've got two people who essentially cover the entire country anyway but are fighting for the same talent now you can go with a, a two-pronged approach to get not just the best young talent in like Chuck Wimeka and Hutchinson for the first team or first team fringe but throughout the age groups and make Chelsea the club to be at because everybody who's interacted or worked with Joe or families and friends and acquaintances and parents and everybody they, they they speak so highly of him from everything i've been told that chelsea are getting a good person which again plays into what we're hearing from the new ownership group as the sort of model that they want to build graham potter very much the face of that so we'll see when it happens that he's southampton aren't making it easy for him to leave so soon into his time there uh, whether they can come to an agreement that makes him available to chelsea formally in advance I don't know but there are ways of um, starting work without officially starting work I'm sure but it, it's an exciting time and we'll see how it all knits together with whatever the eventual f uh, unit looks like with Christophe Vell coming in and uh, whoever else it might be but he's certainly an exciting addition to Chelsea's recruitment in terms of the high-end talent in this country. Yeah, no, absolutely. What the owners are doing and building out this new um, football structure, I think is, is nothing uh, short of exciting. And it is something that it is different from the, the previous regime, but that doesn't mean it's worse. Uh, we hope it's better. We hope that we're always getting better as a club. And we love to see that, uh, you know, that um, – the owners look at Cobham with such uh, reverence and, and opportunity and growth as well. So uh, that'll always be good for us again. Um, you know, adding good football people to the org is what we want. So Phil, uh, thank you. A lot has happened and this is only middle of the month. A lot is yet to happen with the Academy. So uh, we'll be back to break down more, but um, again, follow Phil at Chelsea youth uh, because I will do the PSA for him if there is a stream, he will provide a link. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That will always be true. It will be referred to several times in several different mediums on the day of, on the day before, usually around kickoff. If I haven't made it clear where you can watch it, assume that you need to be there in person. Oh, brilliant, as always. Uh, well, thank you for covering uh, this team. I'm sorry, these teams. So so in-depth, uh, we appreciate the knowledge, but we're going to be out. Uh, more episodes coming at you, as always. If you have questions, at Chelsea Youth, uh, tweet them. You might get a response. But anyways, we're out. More content from the London's Blue Pod Network coming almost every single day. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.